Don't sit. <laughs> yeah, remain standing. You know, I, last week, I talked about being patient and kind. It's kind of become a mantra over the past few weeks because I am not very often patient and kind. So I've been working on that. I want you to greet one another before you sit down and ask, were you patient and kind this week? And be honest with your answer. Go ahead. <laughs> All right, all right, thank you. You may now be seated. Very good. By the way, that was Garrett's dad over there on the base, if you're wondering who that guy was. A compliment on him and uh, uh, his wife on how he raised, they raised good kids. And it's good to have Nathan on the drums for the first time. Nate Dyer, good job, yeah. Okay, this is, this is the second in our series, 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health. When you go to a doctor, they diagnose how you're doing physically, and they do this diagnosis through two means, two primary means. They ask you questions, and they give you tests. And our hope is that these 10 questions will help you diagnose your spiritual health through these 10 tests and questions. The Apostle Paul wrote to the Corinthians, Therefore, we do not lose heart. Though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day. So there's an outer you, which would certainly include your skin and hair and face and body, and I think it's more than that, but it's a part of your body that's part of yourself that is visible, it gets looked at, dressed up, whistled at, and laughed at. There was a mother who took her five-year-old daughter along when she went shopping, and the little girl watched her mother try on outfit after outfit, exclaiming every time, Mommy, you look beautiful. A woman in the next fitting room called out and said, may I borrow your daughter for a moment? <laughs> the outer you is important. We're all concerned about it. And it also includes things on the inside like your kidneys and liver, heart. It's all the physical aspect. I think it also includes even more than that. Paul's talking about success and accomplishments and, and, and that kind of thing. But there's also an inner you, your spirit, your soul, your character would be part of this. And the main difference between the inner and the outer is the outer is wasting away. Paul says it's temporary. The inner is being renewed day by day. Both are important and both should be cared for. Some of you are great at caring for your bodies. That's just wonderful. And I want us to be grateful for the, for the outer you. Come to peace with your body. Rejoice in its strength. Accept its limitations. Wash it every once in a while. Feed it. Let it work hard. Be happy when it gets promoted. But remember, it's wasting away. Did you know that after the age of 30, you start losing brain cells at an alarming rate? I think thousands of day. Now, Casey is 32, and he's already losing his mind. <laughs> Garrett, not yet. My brain at my age is pretty much like Swiss cheese. Your skin begins to lose elasticity and shrivel. Your, your weight starts shifting from the poles of your body to the equator. Your hair stops growing where you want it to grow and boldly goes to places no hair has gone before. People give you nose tremors for Christmas. And you can exercise the outer you, you can starve it, you can Botox it, Rogaine it, stretch it, lift it, nip it, tuck it, tan it, dress it up, but it's wasting away. The inner you, on the other hand, 
is or at least can be renewed day by day. The outer is deteriorating. You can't do anything about that. It will lose its glory. The inner is capable of a glory you cannot imagine. Oscar Wilde wrote a book called The Picture of Dorian Gray. It's the story of a man who sells his soul for ceaseless youth and beauty. Old man wrinkle can't touch him. Everyone marvels at his eternal youthfulness. He never ages. But his outward hides an inward soul marked by greed and lust and betrayal. Dorian Gray is really the opposite of the Apostle Paul. The outward Dorian is being renewed day by day. Everyone envies his beauty and his youth, but inwardly, he's wasting away. And in the book, there's a painting of him that increasingly shows the condition of his inner life on his face. And initially, the face in the painting is as handsome as he is in real life, but his sin begins to be reflected in his face. And every act of deceit and betrayal and greed becomes another wrinkle or pockmark or twisted feature until at last the outer Dorian Gray in the painting is really too hideous to even look at. His inner life got exposed. I wonder what it would look like if our inward soul was displayed on our faces. So this series is a challenge for you to make your biggest investment in the you that is most important. We have scales and mirrors and tape measures to track the development of our outer selves. But how can we track the well-being of the part that's really important? That's what these questions are about. So last week, the first question was, do you thirst for God? Not do you believe in God, or do you trust in God, or do you like God? Not do you thirst for the blessings of God or the benefits of God, but do you thirst for God? Do you want Him? On a scale of 1 to 10, how are you doing? Where are you at in your desire for God? So with every diagnosis, we're going to offer some prescriptions to help you in your inner you. Today's the second question. The second test, are you governed increasingly by the word of God? Does the word guide your life or does the culture guide your life? Or your opinions or your desires? It is, is it his will that wins out or yours? On a scale of one to ten, one would be I do my own thing, I don't care what God says. Ten is as I submit to him in every way. And all of us are probably somewhere in between there. Where are you at on that scale? Last week I mentioned I was going to talk about Princess Bride a little bit today. Uh, it's not a great movie, but it's fairly famous. Uh, 1987 is when it came out. And by some, it is considered one of the top love stories of all time. Quirky little movie. Uh, Ellen and I rewatched it on Monday night, and there's a lot of interesting lines like, Hello, my name is Inigo Montoya. You killed my father. Yeah. Inconceivable. Life is pain. Anyone who says differently is selling something. Hmm. Get used to disappointment. Some of it sounds a little like Ecclesiastes, actually. But my favorite is what I want to do at a wedding ceremony by impersonating that very impressive clergyman. That's what he's called, very impressive clergyman, most are. And he stands, that was a joke, and he stands on the platform of an ornate cathedral. He's dressed in these imposing robes and invest, investments, and, and he follows the glorious thunderblast of the organ by saying in a voice that sounds almost exactly like Elmer Fudd, Marriage, marriage is what brings us here today, that dream within a dream. I can't quite do it like he does, but I so want to do that at a wedding. <laughs> yeah. 
But there's one line that lies at the heart of the book's story, and it is spoken when the story begins, and it is also the final words of the movie. It's a kind of a prayer. In fact, it's the greatest prayer Jesus himself ever prayed. Don't tell anyone if you know it, but I want you to text me if you know the line. I want to see how many of you know this, and then I'll tell you later. So text me. We've got the number up there. That's, that's my number. For now, I want to ask, what are the most valuable things in the world today? The most valuable, tangible things. We might say diamonds, gold. Some might say the mountains or the ocean. You know, God's creation. Oh, here we go. I better... There we go. Uh, music, you know, there's a lot of important things in life, but what are the most important things in life? Offer gold or diamonds to someone who is starving or hours away from dying due to hunger or thirst, and the value of gold goes away. The value, what he values is water and food, the basics. So the most invaluable things in life are the basics of life, and without them, there is no life. Well, Jesus said this, it is written, man shall not live on food alone or bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus said, here's something even more important than food. He has not eaten for 40 days when he says these words. He's maybe close to death, but even at that point, even more important than food is the word. So do you want to live? Get into the word. This is what will give you life. Eat it. In fact, that's what Jeremiah said. When your words came, I ate them. They were my joy and my heart's delight. For I bear your name, Lord God Almighty. You need to eat to survive and thrive physically. Well, you need to eat the word to to thrive and survive spiritually. There are other things the Bible is called. It's called light. Light is pretty important. It's called a fire. It's called a tool, a seed, perfect, sure, right, true, righteous, sweeter than honey, desired more than much fine gold. It goes on and on, all the valuable things that this word is. Psalm 119 is the longest chapter in the Bible. It's 176 verses, and the topic is God's word. Almost every verse, it talks about delighting in it and obeying it and following it. Verse 72, the law of your mouth is better than thousands of coins of gold and silver. How valuable is this word to you? Do you delight in it? Do you eat it? Last week, we talked about a thirst for God, and the best way to enhance that thirst is through the Word of God. 1 Peter 2 says, Like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you've tasted that the Lord is good. Well, how important is milk to a newborn baby? Pretty important. So the question is, are you feasting on the Word? Are you increasingly governed by God's Word? Are you feeding on it, saturated in it? My mom knows the Bible, and uh, she lives by it. She's not perfect, but she was telling me that she was given a choice after her sophomore year in high school to go on in high school and finish school or get a piano. She chose the piano and became a pretty good piano player. And I found that my mom, over the years, with her limited 10th grade education, is a lot wiser than most people I know. More pe- she's a lot wiser than people with more education than her because she knows the word. She has a wisdom from God. I remember her using the word to raise us kids. That was her guide. She got a wisdom from God. So how can I be governed by the word? What's the prescription for this? Last week, we talked about meditating on the word, and that's part of it this week too. Take a phrase from your reading 
and make it your theme for the day or maybe even for the week or for the month. I mentioned last week, 1 Corinthians 13, the love chapter, and I use that phrase, love is patient, love is kind, as, as kind of my mantra. Meditate on the implications of love is patient, love is kind. What would it look like if Mark is patient and Mark is kind? Because Mark is not always patient and not always kind. But that little reminder in my mind is God working and the Holy Spirit working. It really makes a difference. Or Ephesians 1, you were chosen to be holy and blameless. You were chosen. And that becomes the mantra for the day or for the week, to become holy and blameless. See, I want his truth to become my truth. I want to be governed by his word, and the first thing I have to do is get that word into my mind and into my being. I once had a lady tell me uh, uh, at a previous church, she was talking about her granddaughter, and her granddaughter had been in church all her life. But now her granddaughter got into reading the Bible, and she said, Grandma, you really don't get it until you get into the word. Amen. And once you taste it, once it starts gaining a grip on your soul, you'll see that you love and need Scripture more and more. Psalm 119 talks repeatedly, I will delight myself in your commandments. I will lift my hands to your commandments, which I love. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. Just read part of Psalm 119 sometime and get a feel for a person who loves Scripture and ask God to give you that feel. There's another help along with this, and that is simply pray the word, pray as you read, let the scripture guide your prayers. Psalms, again, is really a good help because it's a book of prayers, and they'll say the words for you, they'll say the prayer for you. The book of Psalms was the God-inspired prayer book of, the, of Israel and hymn book. One of the books I read when I was gone, it's called A Wind in the House of Islam. And it's amazing what God is doing in Muslim countries these days. Uh, for the first 700 years of history, Christianity made basically no inroads, very few inroads into Islam. And then in the last two or three decades, something's been happening. God's been moving, and there's pockets of Christians springing up, and pretty good groups of Christians, like a, like a thousand churches or so in different places. And it's really amazing what's going on. Of course, it's still a very small minority, but two of the things they mention that are happening to bring this about is the word being translated into the language. That was huge. And then also the Jesus film. If you remember the Jesus film came out about 20 years ago. It's the story of Jesus through the Gospel of Luke. Those two things have had a big part in growing Christianity in places where it hasn't grown before. And the Bible says this. Faith comes from hearing and hearing comes from the word of God. So if you want more faith, get the word. Now, last week, the key word was meditate. I talked about how every one of us meditates. You don't have to learn how to meditate. You already do it. It's whatever your mind is focusing on, what it dwells on. It's the focus. It's the focus of your meditation that matters, the object of your meditation. So fill it with the word of God. Meditate on a phrase. Repeat it in your mind. Absorb it into mind. You were chosen. That should give you a rise to your self-esteem. You were chosen to be holy and blameless. You just start thinking about the implication. Just make that your mantra for the day. The key word today is governed. Are you governed by the word? You meditate on it, absorb it into your mind, and then your life is governed by it. You live the word. Not do you know the word of God, not have you memorized the word, which is a good way to get it into you, and not have you studied the word, which is very important too, but are you governed by it? 
You go to the Word to seek His will for your life. God, what do you want me to do? See, many Christians bump along Sunday to Sunday, year after year, and there's no changes in their beliefs or their practices. They believe the same way and they act the same way they did 20 years ago. They may carry a Bible, but nothing really changes. They may even read it daily, but really are not governed by it. Back to Princess Bride. The one phrase in this movie, repeated several times, if we were ever able to pray these words truly and continually, it's the only prayer we'd even need. How'd you do? Yep. Oh, one of you missed it. Okay. As, as, well, let's, let's watch it. It's as you wish, but let's watch the clip here. That's all he ever says to her. Jesus said, if you love me, you'll do as I wish. Keep my commandments. So I love Jesus. You're basically saying, I'll do as you wish. I wonder if Buttercup, don't you love that name? I love, wonder if Buttercup ever asked Farm Boy to do something he really did not want to do. Does God ever ask us to do things we'd rather not? Well, of course. Forgive that person? as you wish. Love your enemy, turn the other cheek, as you wish. Are you governed by his word? Or are you only going to do what you want to do? Augustine said, if you believe what you like in the gospels and reject what you don't like, it is not the gospel you believe, but yourself. We determine what God wants and nothing changes. Saying, I want a relationship with Jesus without having to submit to Jesus, saying, I want a friendship without the commitment. I want a marriage without the commitment. And what you're actually saying is I really don't want a relationship. Some of you have heard the concept of the daily office. The word office comes from the Latin word opus, which means work. So the daily office is the daily work of God. 
And the daily office is the work of God in your life, and the idea is to make yourself available to His work in your life. It differs from what we label today as quiet time or devotion time. It's more than that. The daily office is about being with God and having communion with Him throughout the day. The idea goes back to the monks. In 825 AD, a man named Benedict structured prayer times around eight daily offices, including one in the middle of the night at 3 a.m. So eight times every day, they would stop to be with God during the 24-hour period. And nothing was to interfere with that priority. That was the most important thing, to have God in their lives. Now, if you go back to the Bible, there's hints of this, where King David in Psalm 119 sets times of prayer seven times a day. Daniel prayed three times a day. The devout Jews in Jesus' time prayed at set times, morning, afternoon, and evening. And those who did the daily office realized that stopping to be with God was the key to creating a continual familiarity with God's presence for the rest of the day. Just as a fish would die too, staying too long outside of water, those who stay outside the daily office will die spiritually. Now last week, besides meditation, the other part of the prescription was stop. Stop during the day periodically, be still and quiet, and let the work of God in you. So let me give you four steps to a simple daily office here. You can do this two or three times a day. Step one is stop, be still, sit still. Even if you're not a Christian, this is healthy. Take a God break. Silence and centering is next. Be still and know that he is God. Let go of the tensions. Focus on him or a phrase. Even one word like faith or trust and encouragement. And last week I mentioned uh, most Americans can't sit still and be quiet for more than 15 seconds. So aim for two minutes. Can you just be quiet for two minutes? Now here's a suggestion. I heard this long ago and I still do it and it's going to sound weird to some of you but it's called the hands-down, hands-up exercise. So I want you to do this with me. Just, just do this with me. Put your hands down like this. Okay, hands down. That is a physical symbolism of letting go. Okay, imagine letting go of your worries, letting go of your angers or frustrations, uh, letting go of anxiety and distraction. It's kind of like a confession time where you, you just say, God, I've got to let go of some of this, get this bad stuff out of me. It may say, take some time if you're having a really bad day. You're letting go. And then after the letting go, that, that's kind of a cleansing effect, then hands up to symbolize your acceptance of God and receptiveness to his word and his gifts into your life. Your physical body can help you spiritually focus. We do it with prayer when we bow our head to pray to show our submission or we get on our knees. So hands down, let it go. Let it go. No. Uh, release, release it. it. It is so good. I mean, really. Get it out. Hands up. Receiving him. And receiving his gifts. It's I find it a good way to center on God, focus on his ways for my life. Of course, no phone, no TV, no technology, no conversation. Be quiet when you do this. And then scripture. Read a portion you don't have to read a lot. Usually I read a chapter or less. And that's where you can find a phrase or some word or something and focus on that and the implications for your life. And then you pray. Just talk to God. Sometimes I pray silently, sometimes verbally if no one else is around. Sometimes I write out my prayers. Sometimes I, I actually have a journal on my computer, so I'll just journal in there. I had this book called Day by Day. It was suggested to me before I went on my sabbatical 
And it has this process in here, basically, what I've just given to you. And it has the scripture printed out for you. It's a short scripture, a little devotion. It even has a printed prayer for you. I can order these for you if you'd like to get one. And there's two of these daily offices for each day for 40 days. I'm going through it for the second time. It just really helped me a lot to, to be aware of God throughout the day instead of having one devotion in the morning and then we kind of get God out of the way and live the rest of our life. No. I know you're busy. I, I know many of you are busy. You have 18 kids and three jobs and stuff like that. So we will address that. And I am going to talk about knowing God and his presence in two weeks about you know, finding time with him even in the midst of a busy schedule. But for now, I just want to suggest find two or three times a day where you stop, let go, and receive his gifts and his word. Hurry is the enemy of death. In fact, there's a new disease. Well, it's not even new anymore. Two cardiologists coined the name for this disease 60 years ago. They called it hurry sickness. Hurry sickness causes all kinds of emotional, spiritual, and physical consequences. The hurry sick person is unable to acknowledge that he can only do a finite number of things. And as a consequence, he never ceases trying to stuff more and more events into his constantly shrinking reserves of time. One client bragged to his doctors that he could watch four TV sets, ride his exercise bike, and pay his bills at the same time. Another installed a hinged board beside his toilet to get paperwork done while sitting there. No wonder our lives are going to pot. Ha! <laughs> yeah. Another put his food through a blender so we wouldn't have to wait, he wouldn't have to waste time chewing. And here's some of the symptoms of of advanced hurry sickness. If you got this really bad, you're going to have deterioration of personality marked particularly by lack of interest in aspects of life except for those connected with achievement of goals. Racing mind syndrome characterized by rapid shifting thoughts that gradually erode the ability to focus. By the way, science has proven you cannot multitask. You can scatter task, but you can only focus on one thing at a time. So we scatter task, we do not multitask. Loss of ability to accumulate pleasant memories. Because we're so focused either on the past or we're dwelling on the, past, uh, on the future, we give little attention to the present. We just can't enjoy it. And maybe the worst, a short fuse. If hurry is the way we live, impatience is the way we relate. I've often said from this pulpit, when I am rushed, I am rude. You need God. You need to be governed by God. You need this thirst for God and governed by his word, and you cannot do it if you are constantly busy. And eventually, again, I am going to address, I know some of your busy lives, and yes, there's some things that are beyond our control, but there are things we can also do even while we're busy, but we'll get to that some other day. Today, for today, Jesus says, if you love me, you'll do as I wish. Stop. Absorb my word and my will. Make them part of your mind and life. Where are you on this scale of 1 to 10? Is it my way or is it as you wish? Let's pray. Lord, knowing you is the best thing we can do. Knowing you is the healthiest thing we can do. Knowing you is the best gift we can give to our children. It is the best thing we can give to our neighbors. So may our hearts and our minds, our inner being, be renewed day by day. Our outer is wasting away. And just remind us to keep our inner focus on you. Help us to stop, meditate, 
absorb your word and say to you every day, as you wish. Amen.